Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Good evening. Welcome to Tell Me Everything on this Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. This is, of course, the night of the first Republican debate. It is happening right now in Milwaukee in the pre-taped interview of Donald Trump by Tucker, I hate him passionately, Carlson, is apparently airing somewhere, too. So what a going to cover the debate every minute here on Sirius XM Progress tonight. In the final hour of the show, Mike Signorelli, who is watching it, (laughs) he's watching it so I don't have to, is going to join us to talk about it, what he's seeing, what his impressions are. We'll, through the show, you know, we'll be picking things up and we'll be sharing them. Andrew Lawrence from Media Matters for America is going to join us in that final hour, too, to talk about kind of the analysis and what's been happening on Fox. I mean, this is a big deal for Fox. But as uh, Andrew Lawrence pointed out a few minutes ago on Twitter, one of the Fox stars, Jesse Waters, is actually previewed the debate tonight by basically telling viewers that none of the candidates on that stage at the Fox News debate had any really realistic chance of being the nominee because Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. So that's a nice that's a nice preview for your debate. And there are seven candidates on the stage. Just some of the regular Don Ron DeSantis. Um, he's there. Mike Pence. Chris Christie, who apparently is going to be the designated asshole tonight. And I think it's an appropriate role for him. Uh, former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. Vivek Ramaswamy, who's also, you know, he's he's the up and coming candidate right now, although he's getting a little more scrutiny right now because people are realizing that he just makes shit up and he changes his positions all the time. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. Now, earlier today, we learned that the governor of North Dakota, Governor Burgum, hurt himself playing basketball, probably wasn't going to be there. Not that anyone cared. (laughs) 
right? So, you know, we are seeing lots of headlines. There was a Washington Post headline, what to watch tonight? Who could be the breakthrough candidate? Uh, The answer, actually, Jesse Waters told us, no one. That's who. Although the media really is hungry for someone tonight to break through. So we'll be picking it up through the show tonight. But we're also going to do something different. We're going to do what we always do on Sirius XM Progress, serious issues. And we're going to talk about issues that should be covered at this debate, but won't be. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by Rob Furchick, who's one of the nation's leading scholars in disaster and climate change law from Loyola uh, in New Orleans. We're going to talk about climate change. I mean, you all know we have seen it. We have seen this summer. There's part big part of the country's under a heat dome right now. In Lawrence, Kansas today, the heat index was 134 degrees Fahrenheit. 134 degrees Fahrenheit. We saw these horrific fires in Maui, where there's still apparently about a thousand people unaccounted for. We have seen floods this year. We saw a hurricane on the West Coast the first time ever. We see a group, a slew of hurricanes and storms, a lot of activity in the Atlantic. So the climate crisis is upon us. You won't hear that tonight on Fox News. They're all going to talk about ways to make the climate situation worse because they are in the clutches of big oil. The other group of people, the other entity that they're in the clutches of is the gun lobby, the NRA. The NRA controls everyone on that stage. Don't make any bones about it. So in the next hour, we're going to be joined by Chris Brown, president of the Brady campaign, to talk about gun violence prevention in America, what's being done, what can be done. States are making progress, but of course, we've got a Supreme Court that issued a decision that is going to try and make it impossible to pass stricter gun laws and actually try and undo a lot of the laws that we have. These past few days in Tennessee in the State House have been just a shit show. There are people there basically begging the legislators to do something to protect their kids. And the Tennessee Republicans won't even let them have hearings. It won't, they're shutting down hearings. They're voting for legislation that's going to put more guns on the street. They want to arm teachers as if that's the solution. It's absurd. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about issues that the American people care deeply about, deeply about. There's consensus on, but the Republican Party is nowhere to be found. So that's going to be our show tonight. In the final hour, we'll unpack the debate, what was learned both from Trump's interview with Tucker, who hated him passionately a couple of years ago, but now is clinging to him to revive his career, and um, that the clowns on the stage for Fox News in Milwaukee. I will say, I got to give the Milwaukee, I mean, the Wisconsin Democratic Party under the leadership of Ben Wickler, You know what they're doing today? They're raising money. They're like, you know what? They're in our state. Help us raise money. They've been raising money. uh, (laughs) Full disclosure, I chipped in $23. That was one of the asks because I love what they have done in the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. And, And this is another great move by Ben Wickler and his team. Ben is the chair of the party to really capitalize on any opportunity they can to spotlight the fight that they are under in that state. Of course, we had that big election in the spring. And on August 1st, Janet Protosiewicz became a Supreme Court justice. Democrats, liberals, progressives control 
the Supreme Court now, and hopefully there will be some big changes in that state. So that's sort of the backdrop for how things are playing out with the debate. But what was else was today? Today was a busy day down in Fulton County. If you if you're watching online, you saw Rudy Giuliani's mugshot. Rudy Giuliani, who is responsible for a lot of perp walks and a lot of suffering by people, a lot of attacks on communities and over-policing. Rudy Giuliani had to get arrested today. And then there were pictures of him at a bond salesman shop trying to get that all sorted out. How many people has he put through that over the years? How many people has he tried to ruin their lives with over-policing? And you know what his big line was? If they can do this to me, they can do it to anyone. Bullshit. Think of all the things he did to people who didn't deserve it. And what did Rudy do? He tried to overturn an election. So yeah, if they can do it to him, they can do it to you if you try to overturn an election. Jenna Ellis, we saw former Trump lawyer who was on part of Rudy's team to overturn the election. She had her mugshot taken today. She was arrested. Still waiting for Mark Meadows and Jeff Clark, two of Trump's top aides, top lawyers, chief of staff, and the guy who, Jeff Clark, who wanted to be the attorney general. They are trying to get out of it. They've appealed and, you know, they've gone to federal court and said, help, help, don't make us get arrested. And judges are like, no, you will get arrested. You will get arrested. And Fonnie Willis's team pointed out, you know, they are trying to block their arrests. When even Trump, their former boss, the former president, agreed to surrender without claiming any kind of injuries that they're claiming. So the judge has already denied Meadows' bid to delay his arrest, and the same for Jeff Clark. So those two will be arrested again by Friday at noon. Trump is apparently heading to Atlanta tomorrow. So we've got a lot to talk about tonight here on Tell Me Everything. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the climate crisis. We'll be back in just a few. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back, indeed, to Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting for John. And of course, this is the first Republican debate night. We know they're going to talk a lot about Donald Trump. They're going to talk about a lot of things, but they're not going to be talking about solving problems and solving crises that face this country. But here tonight on Tell Me Everything, we are. And that is why I am really, really glad to be joined by our next guest, Rob Furchick. He is one of the nation's leading scholars in disaster and climate change, worked for the Environmental Protection Agency, in the Obama administration. He is the chair in environmental law at Loyola University in New Orleans. Welcome to the show, Professor Verchik. How you doing, Joe? Good to talk to you. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. How are you doing? How, how, how are things in New Orleans? Uh, they're hot, I have to say. And, uh, you know, we've got a heat index of over 100 degrees here, and people really are are having a hard time with that. Just um, last week, I was in Washington state and then in Oregon, and then I found myself in the midst of uh, smoke fire, wildfire smoke, uh, you know, uh, on on the west of the Cascades and, and elsewhere. And it was really terrible. People were having to stay indoors, whether you had air conditioning or not. You know, Rob, it really does feel like, I mean, you know, we've you've paid very close attention to this over the years. But it really feels like this last couple of years, particularly this summer, the climate crisis is upon us. You mentioned the smoke, you know, parts of this country on the East Coast where the smoke was horrific this year because of the fires in Canada. We had the Maui, horrible fires. We've had a hurricane on the West Coast, a hurricane watch last uh, yeah. you know, yeah. morning on the West Coast. We have the Atlantic churning up. I mean, this is a crisis. And look, I think one thing we can all, uh, the president just um, marked one year since he signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which was one of the most significant investments in addressing the climate crisis. And tonight, we don't expect Republicans to address the issue unless they talk about how they want to defund the IRA or something like that. But this is a crisis we're in the middle of. You know, just give us give us an overview of your sense. I mean, you you study this so closely. Where are we right now? We are in code red. I mean, uh, I, uh, I I was actually on this podcast just a while back talking about a book of mine called Octopus in the Parking Garage, which is about climate resilience. And in that book, there are chapters on uh, heat waves. There are chapters. There's a chapter on flooding. There's a chapter on wildfire. There's a chapter on power outages. All about how we can deal with these things in a successful way if we if we do it right. And I that book came out in spring, and this whole summer, 
it's like every week I'm reliving a chapter of this book because it's like you say, it's wildfire, it's heat and it's so on. Now, I, I think one thing to really understand is that this isn't surprising to scientists and experts. I mean, if you have been as, as I have and other people have, you know, if you've been reading this literature and studying uh, the climate projections for the last 20 years, this is no surprise at all. Um, this is what everybody expected uh, looking at the scientific literature. And so we we are way beyond a point of saying, oh, now, now, you know, climate change is a problem. We know it's a problem. But the bigger issue right now is how we get people together and do something about it the way that uh, some of the Biden legislation started to do. And we can talk a little bit about that and even about what some of the GOP candidates are interested in doing if you want. But that's, you know, that's a good place to start. Yeah, let's talk about the Inflation Reduction Act. I, I um, the other night I had on Scott Paul, who is the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and he was actually talking about the the huge investment that is being made in uh, manufacturing and it's manuf and it's green manufacturing and yeah. it is changing it's changing the you know it's changing the country really it's changing the way the manufacturing world is operating and that is huge and there are investments I, I I'm from Maine originally and Maine has made a real commitment so there are some states that really have made commitments New Hampshire Maine others who who understand the crisis and are trying to uh, deal with it. What's your takeaway um, from the the uh, you know one year into the Inflation Reduction Act and the impact that it can have? Well, there are a few things. So, so one is uh, you're right. This is the anniversary, or you know, just after the anniversary of this act, and it's a real lesson in how investments that government makes uh, can leverage huge amounts of money in the private sector. So, when Biden sent this message saying, you know, we're going to uh, green the grid, you, you know, bring on renewable uh, electricity and so on and, and uh, electric vehicles and this and that. That said to the private sector, right, to companies, oh, my gosh, if we invest in this stuff, you know, if we start building wind turbines, if we start building solar panels, people are going to buy them because there are going to be subsidies that customers have to do that. And so the private sector in just a year has invested more than about $110 billion into clean energy. That's not money from the federal government. That's money from the private sector uh, that was spurred by the government. And I'll say, you know, so I'm in, in Louisiana, as you know, and um, this is really interesting to me because I, I, I serve on, on a task force for the governor here on climate. And uh, this is a big energy state, obviously. Uh, there is a lot of interest in oil and gas. Uh, but you know what? One of the most exciting things, just talking to people on the street about uh, one of the most exciting things is the potential for offshore wind power in the Gulf. We don't have offshore wind farms in the Gulf of Mexico. We have some of the best offshore wind uh, in, in the country right off the shore of Louisiana. And uh, and our governor and, and a lot of people in industry are really pushing uh, to build that because I'll, if, I, if I just take a minute or less than a minute here just to explain something, it's really, I think, important. In Louisiana, the folks here invented offshore oil drilling, all the technology, 
everything and sold it to the world. Right now, a lot of the technology that's used for offshore platforms is now also being used for offshore wind. And so in New Orleans, we design and manufacture turbine blades. Um, in Houma, uh, Louisiana, they make the lift boats that go out there and help construct these things on the water uh, up and down the Atlantic coast. Uh, we uh, we build the jackets, the big old leggings, you know, that you see on those platforms that hold them up for wind turbines. And so people down here, they just want that business really, really badly uh, because we can be a new kind of an energy state. Uh, we still have, you know, there's still big controversies. Oil and gas uh, industry officials aren't sold on that, obviously, because it competes with them. Uh, but I think we have a real shot at this and people are excited about it. Well, look, that's a state, like you said, Louisiana, very highly dependent on the uh, you know oil and gas industry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it, I think it's really fascinating, you know, and, and, but the, but also, you know, Louisiana, uh, very uh, endangered by climate. I mean, the barrier islands, I mean, it is it's one of those things that, you know, the idea that Louisiana can actually become a leader in this is really important. But as you know, it really matters for the future of the state, the livelihood of the people in the state. Right. Oh, my gosh. We are on the fastest sinking land uh, probably in the world, depending on how you measure it. Uh, down here in southern Louisiana, yep. it is it is life and death down here for certain communities. And there are dozens of towns that no longer exist because they're underwater um, here in Louisiana. So it's it's not uh, a hypothetical. Right. Uh, but but you know what is interesting? Florida has many of those same kinds of issues. Miami has has more assets at stake from sea level rise than probably any city in the world. It's, it's certainly in the top three or five, I would say, for that. And, and one of the things that you see in places like Louisiana and places like Florida is you see even politicians who are very right-leaning, uh, you see them very much in favor of the kinds of things that would help build resilience uh, so, you know, just to give you an example of, you know, what's been going on with our Mr. DeSantis, uh, uh, you know, he he says, I don't want to do anything about climate change, just left wing stuff. You know, I'm not going to politicize the weather. He tells you all that. Um, but he appointed a chief resilience officer in the state of Florida when he was as governor. Um, he's he's uh, signed legislation sending hundreds of millions of dollars into communities to build seawalls and improve drainage and things like that i think all that's great what, what is really bad is he will not level with the citizens to explain to them why they need all those investments and so it's kind of like you know he's out there selling cigarettes to cancer victims you know uh you know basically saying we can have all this oil and gas and we don't have to worry about it. And, and so in, in some ways, that's even worse than not understanding or caring about the problem, because he obviously cares about the fact that the land is sinking, uh, but he doesn't he's not uh, forthright enough to sort of explain what the real issue is and to try to actually solve the cause of the problem. Right. And, and talk about a state that I mean, much as Louisiana is susceptible to hurricanes. I mean, Ian last 
summer, heated up in that very hot Gulf of Mexico, turned into a Category 5 and smashed the West Coast of Florida. There are, you know, the National Hurricane Center is now predicting a 60% chance of um, higher than average hurricanes. <laughs> DeSantis did tell his citizens a couple weeks ago, knock on wood, that we don't get a big storm. <laughs> you know, yeah. as the insurance industry has left us. I mean, like, Jesus Christ, the, 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 that is a state that is so in danger. It's like you look at it and you realize how in danger it is and that the leader of the state, and you know, for a while, they wouldn't even be able to use the words climate change in their um, official publications. That, oh, that's right. That denial, right? I mean, it's, it puts people's lives in danger. Well, you know what? It actually put them in danger of, of getting federal funds. So, you know, there was a, a period after Hurricane Sandy when a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of federal money went to what were called resilience projects uh, uh, around the country. Louisiana got hundreds of, uh, you know, over a hundred million dollars for, for for this kind of work, and many other states did too. Uh, and Florida was frozen out, and and the reason they were frozen out is because none of their proposals would mention climate change, and uh, federal government just said, "Look, if you can't even admit what the problem is, we we can't help you." Yeah. I'll tell you, I, um, you know, I've, I've just been kind of keeping an eye on the debate. And apparently Fox News did ask about climate change. Vivek Ramaswamy said it's a hoax. And um, the candidates were asked to raise their hand if they believe human activity contributes to climate change. And they all refused to raise their hand. So that denialism is. Oh, my gosh. Front and center tonight. Even, you know, like that, that. Rob, that it's happening this summer, like that that this summer, after every all the news we've seen, all the death that has come from climate, the floods and the intense, it's 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 maddening. It is like, <laughs> I, what do you even say? And Chris what Christie do you say was right? governor during Sandy, you know, Hurricane yes. Sandy. Yeah, right. The one thing you say is, thank God we have Joe Biden as president right now. And thank God for the IRA, which we know Republicans are going to want to defend. But let's just talk about Republicans. Like, I really find this climate denialism so it it, it just seems like so pathological to me. Um, And again, especially in this moment that we're living in, Um, you've studied it. You've been on the inside. You're at the EPA. Where where does it come from and what's your sense of how to counter it? Is it possible? Yeah, I think there are actually two different kinds of issues going on, two different kinds of problems. There are folks uh, out in the world, right out in the United States, who don't who aren't convinced of the science of climate change. Um, A lot of that, I think, has to do with what I'll just call team loyalty or some kind of social loyalty. There have been a number of studies on this. And, uh, you know, uh, you can you can uh, you can poll people and give them tests about how much they understand science and things. And actually, how much you understand science has nothing really to do with whether or not you're going to think climate change is, is an important problem. What, 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 what determines it, right, what, you, what predicts it, is what your, um, what your personality type is like, honestly. You know, if you have a personality type that is, is pretty hierarchical and uh, pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty authoritarian, 
uh, and, and I'm using that word very loosely, but you know, you know, sort of a law and order type, you're going to find that really hard to believe in climate change. And, and, right. um, and, and no amount of information is going to help you. So that's one issue. The other issue, though, is I think a lot of politicians and politics, you know, I worked in government on the federal level and I've been plenty around in the state level. Uh, it is not unusual to talk to politicians privately in the hallway and they will tell you that they buy all the science. Um, you know, Tim Scott, senator of South Carolina, who's on that stage tonight, uh, he has said before that he accepts the science of climate change. Nikki Haley has said before that she accepts the science of climate change. But there's a reason they won't say it, apparently, you know, uh, from from what you tell me, there's, there's a reason what they won't say it on stage or or in places where people are watching very carefully. And um, and that to me is just so much worse, because then what we're talking about is people who really um uh, you know, it's not that they're misguided. They're 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 actually in they're actually potentially misguiding other people. So, how, what do you do about that? Because you did ask me that, and I'll just say, you know, there there there's like a fifteen percent group that you just are not going to be able to talk to. It's just mm -hmm. that's it, right? And maybe some of those people are at dinner at Thanksgiving, whatever it is. Uh, just uh, you know, pass the cranberry sauce and get and get over it. But the really good news is. I think uh, that there's the whole rest of the chunk of the population, 85% of the people, there's 60% uh, 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 of the people in the U.S. care about climate change or are concerned about it. And then you've got the people in between the 60% and you know the 15 that don't believe. And those people are persuadable if you will talk about values. So you don't say, oh, let me, let me give you another scientific study because no one wants to see another chart or another scientific study. But what they, what they might do is you might say, oh, isn't it a drag that your house flooded two times last year? Uh, or isn't it awful that the insurance rates are going up so high uh, and it's harder for you to protect your family and your property, right? And if you make it like that, if you say it that way, sometimes over time, you can get people to talk about issues. There are a lot of hunters and fishers down here in Louisiana where the sportsman's paradise, as you know. And um, I get in conversations with them about how the land is changing and the precipitation is changing. And if you spend enough time talking to them about ducks and fish, you can get into conversations about climate change. It's really fascinating because uh, I actually uh, I've worked on the gun violence issue and I'm, I'm going to be talking about mm. it in the next hour. Yeah. And um, about 10 years ago, I was, I, I was interacting with someone who was telling me that hunters were concerned about climate change because they were noticing they were asking, where are the ducks? Like, where are the ducks yeah. flying north? You know, and that stuff is noticeable. And look, look I, you know, I'm up in Maine. The Governor of Maine, uh, Janet Mills, very committed to the climate issue. The Gulf of Maine is warming faster than 98% of the planet. And you the know, the lobsters this are state, moving. The lobsters are moving, right? Yeah. <laughs> that mm -hmm. is the, that's the iconic, there are no lobsters in um, Rhode Island anymore. They're moving north. And it is the kind of thing that each state seems to have something like that in its own way. And look, let's talk about the fact that one of the biggest wind producers in the country is Texas. I mean, you know, we, we think of Texas much like Louisiana as an oil state, but Texas is a wind state. And 
you know, it provides a lot of resources for the state as well as a lot of energy. And it's, it's like it, it, it does really come boil down to your boil down, which is not the right term, your own kind of communities, too. And when you feel like your community is in danger and you can see it changing. I remember going to Alaska about yeah. 15 years ago and every single person we talked about was like, well, that's because of climate change. That's because of climate change. And I'd never heard people talk about climate change as much as I did in Alaska. So it really does feel like every part of the country has their own way of looking at it and seeing it and realizing it's happening. Well, and, you know, places like Alaska, you can really see it, uh, particularly yeah. if you're on the coast, because that uh, those coasts, the, 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 the permafrost, it, it thaws and then structures built there just slide right into the ocean. And uh, and I think that there are just more and more stories like that. I, I mentioned I was up in in Washington State in the Salish Sea, a little bit you know north of the Puget Sound, and you know we we have been getting these huge flocks of white pelicans, which are beautiful, and everybody's like, why do we have white pelicans? We never used to have white pelicans, and the reason. Actually, because, you know, we, I checked into this. The reason is, is that the places they used to breed in Oregon are all dried up. And so they all moved up. And uh, yeah, there are just a lot of stories. Uh, I talk to fisher folk a lot in the Salish Sea in Washington. I talk to fisher folk a lot down here in the in the uh, Gulf. And yeah, they all have stories like that. And they're very concerned. But they are also concerned about their livelihoods. And you would be, too. And uh, and that is a big issue, right, because they can't wait 10 years for the market to change. They have to pay their boat payment now. And that's why I think it's important. For, you know, we'll get back to Biden's legislation. I mean, you know, one of the things that's just really amazing after this after this one year is there are uh, something um, uh, something to the tune of 170,000 jobs that have been created as a result of this. Uh, and there are going to be more than a million jobs coming up in the next decade because of this. And and there are GOP candidates who want to revoke the law that just created all those jobs. Absolutely. And it, which is, you know, they're, they're out there complaining about the economy as the economy has gotten better, in large part because of the work the Democrats did in the last Congress, passing, you know, the American Rescue Plan, the Chips and Science Act, the um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the Inflation Reduction Act. That is a huge commitment that the government made. And look, climate change is an issue that requires a governmental solution. It requires all of us. And apparently the Los Angeles Times today has been talking to its readers about what they can all do individually. And I'm all for individual actions and collect and collective actions. But we need massive government <laughs> action. Well, yeah, actually... you know, there's some good news, though, with the state level, too, which is interesting because, you know, we had this uh, lawsuit uh, recently. That it's called Held v. Montana, right? The, the constitutional yes. court case. And that is really stunning. So first of all, we're talking about Montana and we're talking about uh, a group of kids, uh, frankly, right, who are represented by a large organization um, who sued their government in the state of Montana in a state court, essentially saying that uh, the state's law favoring and subsidizing oil and gas was violating their constitutional right for a healthy and clean environment, which is something that the Montana Constitution guarantees. And the state court uh, it had a whole trial 
and and, and the court rules uh, as a, you know that that is true that 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 uh, those subsidies uh, or that that law that was favoring oil and gas is invalid under the Constitution. What's really interesting about that is in that trial. Um, there were a number of there were huge amounts of experts coming in to sort of make the case about this. And and two things came of that. One was the court found, and this won't surprise you, that, yes, climate change is real. Yes, all these uh, things that are that all this pollution going on in Montana is contributing to climate change. We all knew that. That's not a surprise. But what was really surprising to me was the second piece where um the court actually made findings that said that it was possible uh, for Montana uh, to reduce all of its greenhouse gases to, to zero, you know, by by uh, I think it was by 2050 that they could reduce it 100 percent by 2050. And then they found, as a matter of fact, that Montanans energy prices would go down 70 percent if they went to renewables. I mean, this is a court of law finding this with the experts in the in the courtroom. And, you know, that's just amazing, I think, for Montanans to I don't know what's going to happen. The case is going to be appealed and so on. But, you know, if you're in Montana and, and a court just said, look, we listened to all this evidence that all the experts in the country coming in and Montanans would save 70 percent on their energy bills over over time. If you went to renewables, that's huge. That's huge. It is huge. That was a really exciting case. And there's so much I loved about it, especially yeah. that it was brought by young people who said, you know what? This is our future. <laughs> yes. You, you old people have messed it up. We want to fix it because we want to live. Um, that was that was a, a really great. Great. And it, it was based on uh, the Montana Constitution. And, you know, uh, but it was it was just it was one of those bright spots we needed this summer, a summer that has yeah, not had was. a lot of bright spots. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, well, this is this is I'm so glad you could talk to us tonight, Rob Virchick. Um these conversations, actually, I'm married to someone who uh, spends, a, he's a researcher who spends a lot of time talking about climate and disasters. So this is a household topic for us. And it's always great to be able to have a conversation with someone outside of the house as well, especially on a night like tonight, when, when the work you do is so important to remind everyone of the dangers we face, but the, the solutions that are possible. Uh, how can people find you, Rob? Well, I am online, as anyone is. Uh, I'm at robvercik.com. That's V-E-R-C-H-I-C-K, robvercik.com. You can get my book. You can learn more about what I do. And I have a podcast, too, that's called Connect the Dots with Rob Verchik. And we, we talk about climate wins and ways we can uh, succeed at reducing greenhouse gases and having thriving communities at the same time because we need all of that. Thank you so much, yeah. Rob. Really enjoyed speaking with you tonight here on Tell Me Everything. We'll be back in just a few minutes. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome back. This is Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting. We've had really a lovely evening these past two hours talking about climate issues, talking about gun violence. I mean, not lovely subjects, but we had great conversations, conversations that weren't happening on the debate stage. Had some terrific callers. Now we're going to have a big dose of reality because joining us is someone who not only watched the Republican debate tonight, but live tweeted it. Our good friend, my good friend, Michelangelo Signorelli. Mike, welcome to Tell Me Everything. Hi, Joe. <laughs> it's been quite a night. I, it's not something I really enjoyed doing, but somebody had to do it. Well, you did it, so we didn't have to. Um, give us your overall impressions, then we'll dig into some of the specifics. Well, I, I, I think if the goal here was for somebody to really break out um, and, and sort of undo what Trump has done in terms of having created this enormous lead, that did not happen. Um, DeSantis, especially, there was so much weight on him. You know, there was so much pressure on him because he has been considered, you know, the person who could do it or because he was in second place for so long. And he just had no breakout moments of any kind. He was largely invisible and clearly wanting to stay away from certain issues, either because they were too much of a third rail for him right now, like Russia, he didn't really want to get involved in, or he's just not excited about them. He only came alive when they're kind of the red meat issues he loves to rail about. Vivek Ramaswamy did do what he had to do in terms of, you know, putting the spotlight on himself and, you know, really kind of making a splash. Um, I don't think it hurts Donald Trump because all he did was praise Trump and he's clearly auditioning to be Donald Trump's running mate. And I would say nobody else really, I mean, did anything. Nikki Haley actually, you know, in taking on Ramaswamy, um, had some good moments uh, in, in a way, especially on the issue of Russia. You know, she really kind of got, you know, some attention. But it's funny that campaign um, advice that DeSantis got from his super PAC, he, he didn't really seem to use it. He he didn't go after Ramaswamy that much. He really didn't even defend Trump that much. He just sort of, you know, tried to stay away from things. Wow. And um, <laughs> I think part of that memo that um, was leaked online uh, intentionally, and then the New York Times picked it up, was trying to 
um, make it seem like DeSantis could be likable by offering a positive vision. Was he able to do that? No. <laughs> there was there was no positive vision from him uh, of any kind. He, uh, like most of them, you know, talked about how the country was in uh, chaos and disaster and darkness. And, you, you know, I, I think Ramaswamy used, we're in a dark moment, right? Um, DeSantis, you know, started out saying, you know, we're in trouble and Joe Biden has brought us here and all of this. I mean, they all did that. So th there was really none of that. And he he didn't seem to connect uh, with the audience, as we've seen with him, you know, in most engagements, whether it's in person or on TV. He, he just didn't really seem to have a connection. He did do his anti-woke crusade, and that got him a few applause lines. But even when he, you know, went to the border, he and, and he was very animated about that. And, you know, he he talked about um, leaving people cold stone dead. Uh, it, it was like out of turn. Like, and this was, he did this a couple of times. He changed the subject from whatever was the other topic. It was China they were talking about, and he just wanted to talk about the border, even Russia. He, and he'd want to talk about Ukraine. He shifted it to the border here. And I just don't think people appreciated that. Yeah, it is. It, it has become an obsession. He loves that stone cold dead line, which is so dangerous because the way he makes it sound um, is anyone coming over the border with a backpack has got to shoot them because they might have fentanyl when it's such a misunderstanding. It's such a misconstruing of how fentanyl comes into the country and you're not really dealing with the fentanyl crisis, but they don't want to deal with salute. That's one of the things I'm wondering, Mike, did anyone have any idea for, did anyone offer solutions or, or, or visions for the country beyond attacking Biden and attacking immigrants and, you know, screeching woke and, you know, and did anyone have uh, any kind of good plans for him? Not, not that we would think anything they'd come up with would be good, but uh, it just seems like they have nothing to offer, really. No, first of all, they, you have to, kind of accept that they, you know, accept that we're in some sort of terrible place to, you know, then think they have some sort of solution to get us out of it because, you know, they kept talking about inflation. That's kind of a dead deal now, right? Mm -hmm. um, they were talking about the economy. That's changing. And... You know, I think even after the news today of of, of Putin, um, you know, suspected of killing Prigozhin in an airplane. I mean, I think people really see the threat of Russia and authoritarianism. And so it was very hard for even them to, you know, push that line that we're sending too much money to Ukraine. Um, it there was just nothing really. I mean, Asa Hutchinson, I never thought I would say, it was probably the mildest, most moderate. You know, when you know, he talked about the border, he said, we need to work with the Mexican government. And he said, you know, the military has no place at the border. Um, <laughs> who would ever think Asa Hutchinson would be, you know, the most <laughs> mild candidate? On the other hand, you know, just like Christie, 
they'd come out of left field with crazy things. Like he said, you know, his record is I've been the most pro-choice, um, you know, governor in the country and I've signed 30 anti-abortion bills and I've cut programs all over Arkansas. I'm proud of cutting. And I'm like, yeah. And you also have like the poorest state in the country where people right. are suffering. So, so even, you know, and then Christie said something about, you know, he would send uh, all um, undocumented people back to Mexico, like they pushed him on the issue of millions of people, would you give them a path to citizenship? And he kind of didn't want to go there. And then at the end, he said, yeah, I'd send them back. Good. Well, good. Good luck eating, uh, Chris Christie and the rest of America, if you do that. But it, it is, attacking immigrants is just one of their go-to lines. I, you know, I work on the immigration issue, as you know, and um, I did see, and I mentioned this um, before the break, Mehdi Hassan um, pointed out that uh, Ramaswamy was using neo-Nazi talking points, talking about the invasion, which is the same rhetoric that is used by mass shooters yeah. in Buffalo, El Paso, and they don't care. They just don't care about the um, ramifications of their language because they are playing to this base. And one of the things I was struck by, Mike, and I... And, and I would, but I would say to so, that, that it, the Fox News moderators introduced it. You know, that was their mm-hmm. question. Is there an invasion? Yeah. You know, and so Hutchinson tried to sidestep that language and talk about working with Mexico. Vivek Ramaswamy said, absolutely, you know, uh, you know, absolutely. And, and we need to stop it. And that's, you know, when when DeSantis got animated, too. It's really wild. Um, I, I, I was struck by a couple of things that I, I just kind of um, been picking up, you know, during our breaks and from some of the callers who came called in were giving us um, updates. Um, they vote. They were asked if they would support Trump even if he was convicted, and six of them actually said yes, including Mike Pence. <laughs> and Mike Pence right. apparently kept talking about the Trump Pence administration, and I'm like, that's a really interesting administration where one of them tried to get the other killed, and oh. he still brags about it. He well, he was like a disaster because <laughs> he kept trying to talk. You know, he talked about the Trump. Pence tax bill, the Trump Pence, we sh- we built the wall uh, on the board, you know, so he kept trying to make like it was great. And then, you know, it's like, but wait a minute, you are promoting this guy while at the same time, and then he went completely and did a 180 and like, you know, like shifted into that guy who did the right thing on January 6th. And he asked me to, you know, put him above the Constitution. So he was just all over the place. I mean, he, he absolutely was disastrous. I mean, I, it, it just, it just, you know, didn't, didn't work at all. But what were you leading into? Because I, I was going to add something else. You were kind of going at something when you were first talking about Pence. Oh, you know, now I've lost my train of thought because I get so engrossed in what you're saying. Oh, the other person I'm interested in, and there seemed to be a lot of, um, people online who were kind of really creeped out by Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, Just his, like, and I just kind of feel like, Mike, he is someone who is a created candidate. Like, 
he just it feels like he's just making this shit up. And when you you know, he's getting some more attention now because he's doing a little better. And people are looking at his record and being like, oh, he's he's completely flip flopped on everything. He, he, he seems like someone who's just being a complete opportunist in playing to um, an audience just because he wants the attention. I, I don't know. What, what, what were your thoughts on him? This was the first time he's been on right. this big of a national stage. Well, I, I'll come to it in a second. I now realize what it was. You said that six okay. of them raised their hands oh, yeah, when they right. said, would they um, you know, endorse Trump if he was uh, convicted? But actually, seven did because... Christie raised his hand like late, like, like oh. put his finger up or something. And, you know, Hutchinson didn't. And Hutchinson later explained that apparently the debate rules don't, they allow for you. You don't have to, you don't have to go with the the vow if the person is convicted, which I did. I didn't know any of that. Maybe that's not true huh. or not. Um, but anyway, Ramaswamy did everything he could to just stand out and, you know, like, I mean, they were asked about climate change. This was a big deal for Fox to ask about Fox, like mm -hmm. did started the question with, we've had wildfires, we've had terrible hurricanes, you know, we're having, I mean, they were setting it up as there's climate change. <laughs> Right. So do you believe that climate change is man-made? Raise your hand. Right. And uh, nobody raised their hand. And then Ramaswamy said, climate change is a hoax. Hmm. Like, and, you know, the others were make, trying to make a distinction that there is climate change. They're not just not sure that it's man-made. He was just saying it's a hoax. It's nothing. There's nothing to it. I mean, he would just say these ridiculous things. And, and on Russia, it really was, you know, he was defending Putin, basically, and saying, you know, people on this stage have made their pilgrimage to their Pope Zelensky. I mean, it was really kind of like stunning kind of stuff. And people were booing at him. I mean, but at other times, he was getting enormous cheers. So it was it was kind of weird. I don't know who was in the audience and what the audience, you know, was made up of, but he clearly had his crowd, but then he clearly, you know, pissed off a lot of people too. Wow. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's really, he just feels like to me, just a bullshit artist. He'll say whatever to get the applause and to get the attention. And, you know, that's very Trumpian in a way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, here were his closing arguments, which I tweeted. I was born in 1985. We were told to celebrate diversity too much. God is real. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement. Okay. <laughs> like, like, okay. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's got a, um, he, he, in a way you asked if there was anybody who, you know, was positive, and I would say he, he he's got a a sort of um, you know tone that's very like jovial. You, you know, so mm -hmm. I mean, he he smiles a lot and he laughs and he tries to make jokes. Um, but it was Christie who said, "I feel like I'm talking to uh, Chat Chat GPT." 
<laughs> he had a few good lines. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 uh, that's kind of what Christie's role was. And look, I will say, I still I can't stand Chris Christie. I thought he was a terrible governor. He had a fifteen percent approval rating when he left, and he deserved. I mean, he didn't even deserve that. But he does know how to slay in a debate, and he did slay. Marco Rubio, for which I will be forever grateful. Um, it does oh, feel I, like... My, go ahead. Sorry. I, I have to tell you a moment that was just... I mean, again, this was, to me, where DeSantis failed. He failed so big here, like, I think. And we'll see what other people think, but, you know, if, if a lot of the pressure was on him, he really failed. He... You know, they spent an hour, the first hour almost, talking about all these different issues. So they didn't talk about Trump at all. And I even made a, you know, comment like Trump has still not come up yet, right? And then they said at the break, okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about Trump. And so they asked like one question. Mm -hmm. And DeSantis goes into this thing about, again, he doesn't want to answer questions. He just wants to keep changing the subject. And he goes into this thing about how, why are we focusing on this? Why, this is not something to focus on. And we shouldn't even be talking about this. And Brett Baer just like kind of slapped him down in his place and said, uh, excuse me, but we have spent an hour talking about a whole variety of issues. And you are now running behind Donald Trump by 20 to 30 or 30 to 40 points. So he's relevant and we're talking about it. And DeSantis just shut up. (laughs) It was like, that was to me was the end of DeSantis. Yeah. I wonder if this will um, be the end of DeSantis. And it does feel like, you know, the fact that no one really broke out, you know, a couple had a moment here or there. DeSantis, this was his first real big appearance on the national stage. Didn't do anything for him. Ramaswamy, I think, creeped a lot of people out. And sounds like that. Um, and look, I'm sorry, he's never going to go anywhere in the Republican Party. Let's not pretend he is because they may treat him like uh, like something interesting, but with a guy with a name like Vivek Ramaswamy in that racist party, even if he's up there spewing the Great Replacement theory, they're not going to support him. I, I you know, no, I and, just, and Trump know, right? is never picking a woman right. or a person of color as a running mate ever. That's right. I don't care what That's anybody right. says. Yep. Yep. So it does feel like Donald Trump won tonight. He said he was going to win, and it kind of feels like he did. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because um, Pence actually got a lot of time, you know, and I'm even looking at how they broke it down, how some of the media broke it down. And I mean, he spoke a lot. And in a way, when he spoke, he promoted the Trump administration because he talked about mm-hmm. all the great things they did. <laughs> so it's like, you know, um if you excuse Donald Trump for the insurrection, which they all do, then this was a great debate for him because the guy who spoke the most was your vice president and talked about how great everything was. 
<laughs> and, and, and that accrues to Trump. It doesn't accrue to Pence, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he tried to make like he negotiated the wall. I, I don't even remember him even part of that. Oh my he was God. mostly invisible. Yeah, and I'm sure Trump's going to take that well. Um, I didn't. I didn't see too much about the discussion that he had with uh, Tucker Carlson, who I, I, I can't say Tucker Carlson without reminding everyone. On January fourth, twenty twenty-one, he texted friends, he texted colleagues at Fox, saying, "I hate him passionately," and it's the only time I've ever agreed with Tucker Carlson because I hate Trump passionately too. But here they are, both using each other to, you know, push their careers. I didn't hear too much about that. Was there any chatter on about that tonight? I, I know that um, apparently the Washington Post said that he did say that, you know, he just thought there was a lot of love on um, January 6th at the crowd, which is like, holy shit. Yeah, they didn't even refer to what Trump was doing or anything about Tucker Carlson or any of that. I did see some of the pre um debate discussion on Fox and they were talking about it and did say that he was doing the interview with Tucker Carlson but they didn't bring it up in the actual debate um you know they I mean they had their their you know few minutes where they focused on Trump and then they went on and I I think in that sense that you know they structured it right because you know if the attitude, if, you know, your approach was, okay, let's see who can really make a case here. And yeah, we have to talk about Trump, but we'll get to that. Um, you know, that was, that was where somebody was going to break out talking about some issues. But, you know, nobody except for Christie and Hutchinson was willing to criticize Trump. So... It wasn't, you know, and, and and honestly, they they just kind of they just kind of disappeared. People like DeSantis when it came time to talk about Trump, so it just didn't. It it kind of you know was something they did, and then they moved on to other issues. Wow, and and and, and I didn't, I I didn't see that much chatter online or anywhere about the Tucker uh, Trump conversation. So I guess. You know, we'll probably see clips of that later on as well. I did see that um, the president, Joe Biden, tweeted that, you know, climate change is real, by the way. And, you know, because I feel like the DNC and the white and the um, Biden campaign were very prepared to call out any of the shit they saw tonight and calling out climate change, I think, and saying it's real is is one example of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And. You know, the other issue I think that um, was interesting was abortion. And mm -hmm. again, how Fox approached it was saying um, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And since then, every time this has come to a vote, abortion rights has won. Um, what are you going to do? <laughs> that That was kind of, you know, the question. And, you know, the, some of them tried to duck it and, you know, didn't deflect it completely. Again, this is where DeSantis, he tried to disappear. 
like completely <laughs> until they said, well, you passed a six week abortion ban. And then he said, well, you have to do what you believe in. And they then asked him about the federal abortion ban and he wouldn't say he supported it. So if you have to do what you believe in, why aren't you doing that? Right. I mean, he was just kind of muddled, and he just, like, then slithered away. And Nikki Haley was saying, you know, I mean, Hutchinson was saying we need a federal abortion ban. Um, Pence said, he, he, he led into it by saying, I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's how he started. Okay. So uh, he called for the federal abortion ban. Uh, but Nikki Haley was like, look, we we don't have the votes. Why are you even doing this? So it was one area where they had some disagreement. And then Burgum, the North Dakota governor, was saying, you know, you need to leave it to the states. And, you know, they passed a terrible abortion ban there. But he was saying, like, I wouldn't set, tell New York that they need to do that. We said this was going to the states and we should leave it to the states. So... They were very divided on that issue. It does show how they are tripping over it. They, did, they, 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 they don't the, know what to do. They are the dog that caught the car, and they just don't know how to handle it, because, especially because of the backlash. Let me ask you one other thing, and then I'll let you go, Mike, because I've already taken way more of your time, and you've, <laughs> you had to watch two hours of debate. You need a rest. Any LGBTQ issues come up tonight? Yes. They... And I was really glad that it was kind of toward the end in the lightning round or whatever it was they were doing. And that Burgum just ate up a lot of time and did a word salad thing because it, it I, I've even tweeted, I hope I, he's just going to eat up the time and this goes away because you don't want them talking about this. But what was interesting was that... Um, DeSantis, you know, they talked about education, and it was separate from specifically LGBTQ. And then he, that's when he got a little animated, went into his anti-woke crusade and, you know, said, we, we uh, got rid of critical race theory and gender ideology in Florida and this and that. And he's making sure now not to say CRT and he, you know, he's not using alphabet language anymore. And that was, you know, he, he realized probably that that's been a problem and he sounds like a robot. Um, but the other time, and this was interesting too, that he didn't jump in, uh, they, they brought up trans issues and they used Nikki Haley having said, this is the issue of our time. Remember when she said that like a couple of months ago Yep. and, yep. um, they went to Burgum and he once again said it needs to be a state issue, I, but also I think school districts should do their own thing and you shouldn't tell them what to do. And he kind of was eating up time. And I was like, just keep eating up time because I really don't want them talking <laughs> about this. But then they went to Haley. And what was interesting was she said, you know, I think we need to be talking about math scores and reading. And like totally went into this whole other thing. And I started thinking, are they realizing this is not working? You, you know, is oh, this because wow. why? And DeSantis didn't even jump in at that point. And here's her issue they, that she 
the focus of the conversation when she said it's the issue of our time. And she ended it by saying, I, you know, I, yes, I do believe we need to, you know, not let biological boys in sports. This and that. But it, it was kind of weird because she spent most of her time talking about reading and math scores. Interesting. So fascinating. You know, Mike, and, the, and there, I there was a recently uh, a, a, an article in HuffPost just to end where uh, Liz uh, Skalka said, even at the Iowa State Fair, they were not seeing this issue as really getting traction or any of these anti-woke stuff. So it's very interesting. Very interesting. So fascinating. Thank you. I can't thank you enough because, like I said, you watched so we didn't have to. And... Um, just your insights. I know you'll be picking it up tomorrow on your show, um, but I, I, I really appreciate it, Mike. Um, it was fun. I was able to do your show today with uh, Heather Digby Parton and uh, Marcy Wheeler, and now you've come back and uh, helped us all understand. Watch the debate so we didn't have to. Thank you, Mike. Always great to chat about all of this and <laughs> try to make sense of it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, and I'm, I really appreciate that I didn't have to watch it and could hear it from you. We're going to be back in just a few minutes here on Tell Me Everything. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm so happy right now to get some more perspective on what happened tonight from someone who watches Fox News so we don't have to. Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Rapid Response at Media Matters for America. <laughs> How was your night, Andrew? Oh, it's been uh, it's just been just peachy. It's a lot better now because because we're about done. Yeah. I have to say, uh, the, the first kind of pre-debate coverage I saw was a tweet from you noting that Jesse Waters, previewing the, his own network's debate, basically told viewers that none of the ca candidates on the stage really mattered anyways because it was Trump's nomination. I thought that was really fascinating, and it seemed to kind of like set the tone for the night. 
Oh, it did. Yeah, it was amazing. And I'll tell you, you know, even earlier, um, just so, so your audience knows, I work at Media Matters and we we monitor right wing media and Fox News. So so you don't have to watch it. And earlier in the day, we were uh, listening to Hannity. He has a radio show as well a little bit earlier. And he promised he was doing uh, post debate coverage. He promised that Chris Christie would not be invited on the post debate coverage. A little bit later, you have Jesse Waters saying that this is this is Trump's nomination. And and then uh, Waters, before the debate, is telling the candidates that they need to respect Donald Trump during the debate. And it was just really interesting to see Fox News kind of kind of bend the knee to Trump, even though he wasn't there and, and sort of doing exactly what Trump would have wanted them to do. It not was not only was he, he not there and kind of rubbed it in their face, he rubbed mm-hmm. it in their face, especially by doing an interview with their the guy they fired a couple of months ago, <laughs> Tucker <Right>. Carlson. <laughs> well, and you know what I think what I think is so interesting about that is, you know, the examples that I just gave, I, I think I think that did sort of rattle Fox News's cage a little bit, you know, and I, I, I think that they sort of went out of their way to make sure that they didn't go after Trump too hard or anything like mm-hmm. that. But you know, when you take a look at at uh, the reaction, uh, especially online, um, you know, this this Trump Tucker interview was meant to be a distraction from the debate, but it really wasn't. I didn't see anybody really talking about it once the debate actually started. And you know, I, I think it served the purpose Trump wanted in, in in scaring Fox News a little bit. But I also think that it really shows how irrelevant uh, Tucker Carlson is, and and what a terrible medium. Um, uh, Twitter is for, for these long form type of interviews. I mean, it's just uh, nobody really watched it. You have to say it was interesting because during a couple of breaks, I was rooting around online to see if there was anything about it. The mm-hmm. Washington Post had one line about how Trump said that there was a lot of love and unity on January 6th, which, you know, uh, he's the only one that saw that. But that's right. a really interesting uh, a point that it didn't get that much attention. But the interview itself wasn't the point. It was the fact that he was doing the interview that got the right. that, that that rattled. That's really fascinating. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I'm here and, and not there. And I, I think it served Trump's purposes, you know, exactly what he wanted to do. Um, but I think, I think it really exposes Tucker for, for being sort of irrelevant without Fox News. Absolutely. Really, really. And and, you know, like we we've talked about this before, just six months ago, he was the star. He dominated until he got fired he dominated their coverage he set the agenda and they really haven't recovered from it and even Mm -hmm. with this debate you know it did feel like um michael in the bronx who's he calls a lot he said it felt like a sideshow this just seemed like a sideshow and i thought that was such a great analysis from michael yeah and i i think that i mean look tomorrow morning donald trump is going to go down and get booked in fulton county and his he's going to have his mugshot everywhere and everybody's going to be talking about his weight and all and nobody is going to remember anything from tonight and and it just sort of felt like almost ceremonial you know like kind of just going through the motions and this is something that we have to do because it's campaign season and so we're going to do this debate but we all know trump is up by 50 points you know and and it's not like Vivek is going to come up and what challenge Donald Trump for the nomination? No, of course not. And DeSantis is he's just like an afterthought now. That's that's one thing that I'm enjoying the most is just watching him crash and burn repeatedly over and over. And it's just it's very funny. And it's it's very as, as somebody who grew up in Florida, it's very satisfying for me to see. 
I just need to ask. I talked to Mike Signorelli about this. Um, mm. He was kind of under orders to be likable tonight. And I just, it's a fairly simple test. That yeah. should be a fairly simple test for uh, someone who wants to be president. And it doesn't feel like he passed the most simple test. He's he's just so grating and there's there's just nothing pleasant about him. He he has absolutely zero charisma and and he seems he seems very uh insecure, you know. I mean any, anything that he 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 sees as a challenge to him, even if it's not, he sort of perceives it that way and he is just in attack mode uh immediately. I mean the guy like it's it's so strange seeing the um the myth of Ron DeSantis that Fox News and right wing media sort of created for us mm-hmm. and and seeing him, you know, out there in a pres- presidential uh, uh, nomination fight, the guy just doesn't have it. I mean, he just doesn't. It's um, it's very interesting. And, and you know, he's just not used to this either. I mean, Florida is it's so gerrymandered. It's so rigged in favor of the Republicans. That it, it's just you don't have to run a race there. If you have an R next to your name, you're going to win. And DeSantis has just, he's never really had to, to go through something like this, especially from other Republicans. I mean, he's taken it from the right, uh, which no one in Florida would ever thought uh, to, to challenge him on in the past. And he just doesn't know how to handle it. It's um, it's, it's very fun for me to watch. Uh, the, the shot in Freud is fantastic. I, I will admit that. Yeah, I have to admit, I, I, I'm not a Florida resident, but I feel... I feel it. I feel the same way, just especially the way he's attacked the LGBTQ community and yep. thought he was going to ride that to the presidency. And it was Fox News and right wing media. But, Andrew, you know, a lot of the kind of traditional political reporters, they all did their beat sweeteners on Ron DeSantis. Yep. They were all positioning themselves. I think there are some reporters who got hired out of Florida these past few years to major publications because of their relationship with um DeSantis and the expectation that he was probably going to be the nominee and maybe the president just because yep. they all bought the bullshit, too. Yeah. And, and and it really was all bullshit. I mean, the stuff that he he sort of built uh, his reputation on, like, you know, the covid restrictions, uh, Florida did shut down and he's running around saying that, like, it didn't. He closed the beaches in Florida. It is all bullshit. I mean, it's it's just this house of cards that was built up. He was he, he was sort of like this made for TV sort of thing, except he's not good at TV. You know, so once you actually get him on TV, he just crashes and burns. Um, but yeah, it, everybody was just so desperate for an alternative to Trump and there just isn't an alternative to Trump. You just, you know, it's, it's Trump and it's going to be Trump until he dies. It doesn't matter if he is sitting in a jail cell for the next five presidential cycles, he is going to be the Republican nominee for president and, uh, which is bananas to think about, but like that certainly seems the way, uh, the way it's trending. One of the things that was uh, really I found annoying this past few days was kind of some of the coverage and the Washington Post did it. You know, is this Fox News chance for redemption? Uh, right. Uh, no, are you kidding? Why did that they still treat Fox like one of their brethren is just beyond me. When we all saw, we saw the conversations that they all had. We know they are not a legit network. They're a, they're a propaganda outfit, but it's still, you know, they just fall into the old patterns, the rest of the media. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? And, and I certainly don't think Fox did anything to change that view. 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I thought the Bear and McCallum were fine, you know? I mean, they, they didn't make it about them, and they kind of kept the conversation going and all that. But I, look, at this point, we know what Fox News is. That Dominion lawsuit alone, where they're all sitting there and saying how much they, they despise Trump, how bad January 6th was. We all know that he really lost. And then going out on air and saying the exact same things. And look, yeah, they got rid of Tucker Carlson. They still have Laura Ingram there. They still have Brett Baer there, Sean Hannity. These are all people we saw their text messages we know what they're saying we know that they lie to their viewers and, and then there just is no redemption for fox news this is this is what they are it's what they've been for for the past two and a half decades ever since they started it's there's there's no chance for redemption we i mean you just don't know it yeah i just wanted to thank you i know it's late you've had a long day you had to watch this debate you've had to watch fox news thank you for joining us andrew lawrence from Media Matters for America, an incredibly important organization. And as I always like to say, you were right about Fox all along. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure, Andrew. We are at the top of the show. I did the show. It went so fast today. Big thank you to Chris and Thea, as always. I really appreciate our guests uh, just really getting through this debate, talking about issues that really mattered, climate change and gun violence. I think it was really important. I'm glad we're able to do that with Rob Vercheck and uh, Chris Brown. Really appreciate Mike and Andrew helping us unpack what happened on the debate. Tomorrow night, we're going to be talking to Alex Burness from Bolts Magazine. And Trey Crowder is going to join us in the final hour to give us his take on what happened. I'm really excited to talk to Trey. Uh, we've been the first time I've ever interviewed him, so I'm looking forward to that. So we'll have a great show tomorrow night. I'll be back. My name's Joe Sudbay. This is Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. Have a good night's sleep, everyone. We made it through the first Republican debate. <laughs> and <laughs> I'll be with you tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern.